Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy... He said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marvelled at him. Righto. Um... Today's the Bush Disciples end of financial year special. Uh, obviously coming a little bit late being the end of July. We should have had it a month earlier. And, and I'm going to say hello to the Bonjean Church of Christ. It'll be even later by the time you guys get to it. Uh, but it's good to have you listening today. Um, but in our reading today, Jesus is talking about tax. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, The big thing about the end of financial year, of course, is tax. And some of us really look forward to the 30th of June because we're expecting to get a refund. And so we anxiously, very quickly fill out our tax returns so that we can get our refund. Some of us, however, like to drag our feet a bit because we know that we're going to have a tax liability and have to pay it. Somebody once said, a fine is a tax for doing wrong and a tax is a fine for doing well. Not many people like to pay tax. And it really gets up our noses, doesn't it, when we know that we're paying tax, but then we see some enormous corporations who make massive amounts of money and they seem to be able to do it all without having to pay any tax. They just shift everything offshore. But taxation, it's a fact of life. As the saying goes, there's nothing certain except for death and taxes. But why do we pay tax? Well, obviously the government needs funding. And as a society, we demand more and more services from our government all the time. And all of these things cost money. Uh, The role of the government is to provide for the defence of our nation and for national security, uh, border protection and biosecurity, policing and law enforcement, education, transport, roads, rail, airport, And then, of course, because we live in a welfare state, additionally, we also expect that our government's going to provide for our personal health care and our aged care and our aged pensions and disability pensions and unemployment benefits. We even want our government to subsidise things like childcare and private schools. And we expect that they'll be able to pitch in when we need a bit of drought relief And in times when natural disasters hit different regions, we want them to be able to help those communities as well. We even expect them to entertain us. We we want them to give us grants for our sporting clubs and we want them to build places where we can be entertained, like theatres and stadiums. And surprisingly, these days, we seem to also expect our government to be able to manipulate the climate of the world for us. And so if we have a run of droughts or a run of dry weather or hot weather, We want them to fix it. And that's a pretty tall order. 
and very expensive. And it seems that we, the voting public, expect our government to provide more and more and more, but I don't think too many of us want to pay more tax. And I guess that's probably the way it's always been. But imagine if we had to pay taxes to a foreign government. Imagine if Australia had, had been invaded by a foreign superpower and we were now an occupied land, right? So I want you to imagine that the, our enemy's military convoys now patrolled our streets and we were under their control. And imagine that we were paying taxes to that enemy so that they could afford to pay their army to occupy us. Now, if you can imagine this, then you've probably got a little bit of a feeling of the idea and the feelings of taxation in Jerusalem. Because Rome was the superpower that had conquered that nation. Rome was a superpower who, who patrolled their streets and who taxed them for the privilege of this. So now we come to our Bible reading. And today we see a rather crafty trap set for Jesus. Now we've got two groups of people here and strange bedfellows indeed, the Pharisees and the Herodians. These two groups of people didn't have much in common. In fact, pretty much the only thing they had in common was their hatred of Jesus. And so I reckon here we've got a case of them thinking, okay, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They didn't have much time for each other, but against Jesus they had a common cause and so they conspired to trap him. Now, the Pharisees, they were very religious sorts of people. Uh, they weren't the official religious leaders. They were lay people. That, that just means they weren't priests, right? So they're ordinary lay people. Um, but they're part of this lay purity movement, and that was their focus. It was in pure and holy living. But the Herodians, well, they were a very different kettle of fish, um, they, they weren't at all into religious purity. That would probably be the last thing on their mind. They were a political group. They were the lackeys of, of King Herod. Now, who was King Herod? He was like a puppet king, right? So what Rome said, King Herod did. How did he come to be king? Well, when Rome would, would come in and conquer a nation, uh, it was very hard to control and administer all of the lands that they had conquered. So what they would do is they would put... Somebody into power there, in inverted commas, somebody who could administer the region, if you like, um, and who was friendly to Rome. So it's somebody that they could control. So King Herod was king by name, although I think perhaps his official title might have been Tetrarch. Um, and of course, many of the people of Jerusalem would have seen this bloke as a collaborator, mixing it up with the Romans, doing what they want. And in essence, he actually didn't have that much power. It was Rome who held the power, and he only had whatever power they allowed him. And Herod and his court, they were not at all into religious purity. Um, big word, hedonism is what it's called. When somebody takes to the excess all of the indulgences that life has to offer. And that word pretty much describes and sums up the Herodians. Now, as an example of this, King Herod himself was shacked up with his brother's wife. And that's the reason why John the Baptist was beheaded, 
was because John the Baptist had publicly been saying, no, Herod, you, you, you can't have your brother's wife. And when it came to politics, the Pharisees were dead against the Romans of course, the Herodians were all for them because they had to stay in good with the Romans, otherwise they'd lose their power. So in terms of morality, they were opposites. In terms of politics, they were opposites. And yet these two groups conspire to entrap Jesus. So how'd they do that? Well, first of all, they thought, well, we'll, we'll butter him up a bit. We'll butter him up a bit. And, and here's some advice for you. Beware of flattering lips. Right? If you've always thought that somebody's you know, got something against you, but then all of a sudden they're really buttering you up, they've probably got ulterior motives. In Proverbs 29, it says, A man who flatters his neighbour spreads a net for his feet. And that's pretty much what was happening here for Jesus. Teacher, we know that you are true. And you don't care about anyone's opinion, right? He's saying you, they're saying you're impartial. For, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. They're laying it on thick, aren't they, hey? And then they spring the trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, let me deconstruct this a bit so you can see why this is a trap. Right, they've just put Jesus into a no-win situation. They've asked Jesus a question that requires either a yes or a no answer. Now, if he says, yes, it is lawful, yes, it is right to pay taxes to, to Caesar, then you know what the Pharisees were going to do? They were going to go and get amongst the people and, and let everybody know that Jesus was a collaborator with the Romans. And Jesus' popularity was just going to plummet. You see, when Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, the populace expectation was that they were welcoming to Jerusalem their Messiah. And their expectation of their Messiah was that he was going to lead a revolt against the Romans and do away with them. And so if Jesus agreed, yes, this is right, yes, this is lawful by God's law for you to pay taxes to Caesar then he's just done his dash in his run to be their Messiah. But then if Jesus said, no, 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 it is, it's against God's law to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians, the friends of Caesar, were going to go and tell on him. All they had to do is go and tell the authorities that here's this bloke and he's publicly telling people that it's wrong and against God's law for them to pay taxes to Caesar and he'll be arrested and charged and probably executed for treason or insurrection or whatever. But Jesus saw right through all of this. Verse 15 tells us he knew their hypocrisy. Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now, the denarius, there's a picture of it. Mrs. B didn't have one of those in her little kitty for the kid's story today. Probably worth a fair bit of money now, I don't know. But a denarius was a silver Roman coin. Now, in Jerusalem, there was other local currency, which was more common and more popular and more in use. But, but the denarius was also in circulation. 
And when it came to taxation, this is the coin, apparently, that they had to use. Its value equated to about one day's wages for a labourer. On one side of this coin, just as we have a portrait of the Queen on our coins, they had a portrait of their emperor, Tiberius, along with a title, Divi Org Filius, which means son of the divine Augustus, basically claiming that he's God. And on the reverse side, there was a picture of a female figure seated on a throne, and on this side it had the title Pontiff Maxim, which means high priest. So in essence, the denarius was like a little portable idol. It proclaimed that Caesar was God, or the son of God Augustus. Now, a lot of preachers and commentators on the Bible make a pretty big thing about how the hypocrisy that Jesus noted was the fact that these Pharisees had one of these coins in the temple precinct. Right? Apparently they weren't allowed to be in the temple precinct because, as we just said, it, it, it's the equivalent of a pagan idol and you can't bring one of those into the temple. But, you know, to me, as I read this, it, it actually doesn't seem like Mark is making a big thing about this. Um, in fact, it may not actually even be in the temple precinct. The scene before was in the temple that's when Jesus told the parable of the tenants. But we're not actually told exactly where this takes place. It, it probably is in the temple precinct. But the point I'm making is that Mark wasn't drawing our attention to that. There are other times when, when he actually puts in those words, while they're at the temple, this happened. And it's really important that we note that. I reckon the hypocrisy that he's talking about, it, it's actually something that's pretty obvious. It's more the fact that the Pharisees and the Herodians were pretending that they wanted Jesus to dis decide a dispute between them, while the whole time it was a unified plot to bring Jesus down. Now, there's a hypocrisy right there. They weren't at all looking for an unbiased, godly answer to their theological question. They were just looking for enough rope to hang him with. That's what they're after. Now, another big issue that preachers often make is that Jesus and his disciples didn't have such a coin in their possession while the Pharisees and the Herodians did. Uh, but that's not what at all what Mark says. Mark didn't mention at all whether Jesus and his disciples had one of those coins. Jesus didn't say, hey, Judas, um, have a look in that money bag you're carrying and, and bring out one of those denarius so I can give an illustration. And Judas didn't say, well, remember, Jesus, you told me to leave them behind, not to bring them to the temple. No, that, not, we're just not told anything. They might have had one. They may not have had one. And for the Pharisees and the Herodians to present Jesus with a denarius, they didn't pull it out of their pockets. We're told that they had to go and fetch one. The Greek word is phereti, which means Bring me a coin. And we're told that they brought one, right? They'd actually go and get one to show it to him. Anyway, Jesus said to them, and this is where the, the important part of this, what Jesus says here, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. 
Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at this answer. And I am too. Not just because it was a masterful escape from from a lose-lose question, but I'm amazed because of the, the truth and the insight and the challenge that we find right there in the answer that Jesus gave. You see, the question that they asked was about giving to Caesar. Uh, the Greek word that they used is domen, which means a gift or a present. Whereas the Greek word that Jesus used was apodote, which is more about giving back. It's about give back, give up. Give back what is owed. It's sort of like when you've got, got two little kids and one's got a toy and, and one takes the, the, um, the, the, the toy off the other and, and, the, and the first kid goes, give me my toy back. And the parent comes in, give that toy to your brother. Well, it's not, it's not give it to him as a gift. It's give back to him what is rightfully his. And so what he's saying is give back to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Caesar's image is on that coin. He can have his own little portable idol back. Give it to him. It's his. Now, there is a very important godly principle here for us. The state is an institution which has been ordained by God. Under the authority of rulers, whether they be democratically elected governments or kings or whatever, the Lord assigns to them the role of governing. Now, governments don't always do this well. In fact, they rarely, they rarely do. But the governing authorities are responsible for providing primarily law and order, but also services. And Peter and Paul both help us to understand this. Romans chapter 13 is where Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore... One must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. And then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says, Be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. I think it was just last week, maybe it was the week before, uh, that the ABC ran a story about a Tasmanian Christian brother and sister who were ordered to pay $2.3 million after they refused to pay income tax on the grounds that it was against God's will. Did anyone hear that on the news? Nope. Well, representing themselves in Hobart's Supreme Court on Wednesday, they said transferring their allegiance from God to the Commonwealth would mean rebelling against God and breaking the first commandment adding that the payment of taxes was causing Australia to be cursed with droughts and infertility. In little under three hours, a Tasmanian Supreme Court Associate Justice found their arguments to be unviable and ordered the brother and sister repay the Australian tax office $1.159 million and $1.166 million, respectively. Now, obviously, this brother and sister didn't get God's memo on this. God has ordained that we do pay our taxes. It is God's will that we do pay tax. And to avoid paying taxes is what is against God's will. So there you go, the Bush Disciples End of Financial Year sermon is it's really important that we support the ministry of God, don't you think? And do we consider the fact that the governing authorities are ministers of God and that we support this ministry of God by paying our tax. Now, I can feel some of you stewing. Um, the thing is, this doesn't mean that our governments are godly in themselves. And you know as well as I do that sometimes the governments make some very ungodly decisions and at times they can be downright anti-God. But even so, that's not an excuse for us not to pay our tax. Uh, sometimes we might be feeling absolutely repulsed by what the government has done or some decisions they've made, and we feel we couldn't possibly justify funding that government. But we need to remember that our government is nowhere near as bad as the godless Romans that we've been hearing about in the scriptures here. Um, I mean, those emperors set themselves up as gods in opposition to the true God. And we might think about the slide of morality in our nation and that's occurring in our society and the place that our lawmakers have in this. And we need to realise that, that we're only just beginning to come to the position that, that Rome was in all those years ago. And yet in that culture, Jesus, Peter and Paul were all saying, respect your authorities, pay your taxes, um, give back what is owed. Even to an emperor who claims that he's God, 
you, you, you can't, and you can't get any more godless than that, give what is owed. And the reason for this is because it's not a gift. It's not a present that we give to the government in order to curry their favour. Nor is it a sign of our support for their policies that we pay taxes. We are giving back what is theirs. We're giving back what is owed. Now, locally, we might cringe at the size of our rates bill, but do we have any idea what it actually costs to provide roads and whatnot? If anyone wants to, wants to know, I'm sure you can talk to Scott. <laughs> or, or we might be aghast at the size of our tax bill, but do you have any idea what it costs to buy a joint strike fighter or a submarine or a frigate or what it costs to, to have, a, have a standing army or what the cost would be if we didn't? And do we consider the cost it, it is to have possibly the world's best health system and health care free of charge for, for people in our nation, particularly with an ageing population? You see, we get a lot of services for what we pay. And it was the same back then. Uh, there was a, a concept of Pax Romana, and that, that meant the peace of Rome. You see, cr Rome, it defeated a lot of countries. Uh, but in so doing, it brought law and order to a lot of places where there was little law and order. And it brought a lot of stability to the, to the region. Places that used to be overrun by barbarism at times. And then they built a system of roads, which we still know about today. The, the, the Roman roads we talk about. that They form benefits for the whole of society. And I think what we need to realise is, if we accept the benefits... From the, from the services of a state. And if our legal tender indicates that it belongs to the state, then we must, it is right, that we give back what is owed. Oh, that wretched preacher. Talking about stuff like this on a Sunday. I know, it's hurting me too. I mean, I personally, since I went into the ministry, I haven't earned enough money to pay tax, so there you go. But my wife, she's a wage earner. She's the breadwinner in our family and she pays oodles of it. But we're not finished yet. If we're going to be talking about our creditors, if we're going to be talking about what we owe, there's another creditor we need to talk about. Jesus said... Give back to God the things that belong to God. The denarius had Caesar's image on it. It belonged to Caesar. Give back to Caesar his own little portable idol. Give back to Caesar what's owed to him. Now, if the coin had Caesar's image on it, and so it belonged to Caesar, whose image is God's image on that was wrong. <laughs> Who has God's image on it? We do. When God created them, male and female, God created us in his own image. You and I carry the image of God wherever we go. We carry the image of God in our very selves. What do we owe God? What belongs to God? We owe him our whole self. 
Jesus is really saying two things here. Firstly, there are limits to what we owe our rulers. There are limits to what we owe the state. Yes, give back to the state what belongs to the state, but we dare not give to the state what rightfully belongs to God. In a few short years after this incident, we're in a time where Caesar claiming to be God would demand the worship of all. And that's the reason why many Christians were fed to the lions, because they refused. I cannot acknowledge you as God because I owe that to my God. No human being should ever be worshipped. Our worship belongs to God and God alone. But that then brings us to the second thing he's saying. What do we owe God? And once again, this isn't something that we give to God as a gift. This is something that rightfully belongs to God. This is something that we give back to God. What do we owe God? Everything. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be up to the bit where Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And his answer is going to be, Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That summarises what rightfully belongs to God. How much? All, every bit. Now, in the Christian church, we sometimes summarise this as worship, witness and service. And that's a pretty good summary. Sometimes it's good for us to take a bit of a measure of how our relationship with God is going. It helps to keep us real. See, sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking that our relationship with God's pretty good. But how can we measure that? Well, actually, we can't. We can't measure it. God is the measure of that. But there are some indicators. And a good indicator of where I'm at with God is worship, witness, and service and how that's playing out in my life. I owe God my worship. As our Lord and Saviour, he rightfully deserves it. Am I giving it to him? Am I worshipping God with the very depth of my being? What about coming together to worship? It, is worship a priority for me? To, to come together with, with the church so that we can worship God together in the name of Jesus? Is the very act of getting to church a drag? Getting ourselves out of bed on a Sunday morning, particularly in winter when it's cold? What about my witness? I owe my witness to God. God rightfully deserves for me to be a witness for him. Am I being a witness for God? 
Am I being a witness for Jesus in the way that I live my life? Am I being a witness for Jesus by by talking to others about Jesus and and telling them the good news of Jesus? Am I being a, a witness for Jesus by publicly holding to God's truth even when it's not popular? Or am I a poor witness? Am I such a poor witness that even the people I work with don't even know that Jesus is my Lord and that Jesus is my Saviour? Have I been ashamed of Jesus? Have I been very willing to tell them about my favourite footy club or my favourite cricket game or whatever, but been ashamed of telling them about the most important thing in my life, Jesus Christ? And what about service? I owe my service to God. He rightfully deserves my service. Am I giving to God what rightfully belongs to him? Am I serving God in the way that he's called me to serve him? Because God does call all of us in in different ways to serve him. But sometimes we like to be deaf to this. It's much easier if we just stick our fingers in our ears and go la, 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 and don't hear. How is God calling you to serve him? And how are you going with that? You see, as disciples of Jesus, we owe it to God. And this is a very good gauge of how our relationship with God is. Sometimes we can get into our our own little world of self-absorption and we start keeping for ourselves what rightfully belongs to God. We keep it for ourselves instead of giving it to the one who deserves it. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to talk more about how we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. But today I think we've probably got enough to think about, about how we give to the government what's due to the government and about how we give to God what is due to God. Let's not rob either. Let's not rob the government by avoiding tax and let's not rob God by keeping for ourselves what is rightfully his, which is everything. Let's not rob God of our tithes and offerings. Let's not rob God of our worship or our loyalty. Let's not rob God of of the fruit of righteousness that he's wanting to see develop in our lives. Let's not rob God of our readiness to be witnesses for him. Let's not rob God of our service as we serve God and as we serve others in the name of God. Now, this is the sort of stuff that shouldn't be a tick list that we do, okay, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. This is the sort of stuff that should naturally flow out of our relationship with God and it should naturally flow from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit urges us on to live like this. 
God has given us every reason to worship to worship him. God has has every reason to demand our all. Have you ever stopped to consider that we actually rightfully belong to God twice over? By the mere act of creation, by the mere act of God stamping his image on our lives, we belong to God. We belong to God. But we know that we rebelled against God. And we embraced sin. And we sold ourselves as slaves to sin. So even though God rightfully owned us, we sold ourselves to sin. And so our Lord sent Jesus Christ. He came and died for us. He ransomed us. That means he bought us back again. What a wonderful saviour we have. He owns us twice over. And he rightly deserves our all. Let's pray, hey. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that not only did you create us in your image, but also when we sold ourselves into sin, you, you bought us back. You redeemed us. You ransomed us with the blood of Jesus. Lord, we owe you everything twice over. We could never possibly repay you. And Lord, we don't endeavour to do this. We don't endeavour to try and repay you. But Lord, we owe you everything. Lord, we confess that, that we, we have robbed you of what you owe, what you are owed. We have robbed you of our worship. We have robbed you of our witness. We have robbed you of our service. Lord, forgive us. Lord, I thank you that in your grace and your mercy, that as we repent, you do forgive us. And Lord, I pray that each of us here, as we come to know you more and more, that you would lead us in your paths and that we would follow willingly, giving you our all. In Jesus' name.